Now, Andy is a, um, um, a fantastic speaker, absolutely, but he's also a very gifted author, and he's brought a number of books that he has written, which will be available just outside in the foyer. They're all five pounds, so if you'd want to go and get them, uh, you're, you're really welcome to. And uh, they're both things that are uh, him sharing explanations and thoughts about his faith, but also a whole bunch of just very funny novels. And so if, if there is, who's here for the very first time who would like this one, Stand Up and Deliver? First person to raise their arm is going to get it. You're pointing it for someone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow that. If you're going to have to catch it, though, are you ready? Oh, beautiful. And uh, listen, guys, why don't we extend a really warm welcome as Andy Kine comes to speak to us this morning. Mate, we love you. Come and join us. Hello. Are you well? It's good to be home. Uh, I've got two confessions to start with. Um, well, before I even say that, I've been at the Father Heart Conference this weekend. It's been amazing. If you haven't been, you, you really need to go. Can we have the microphone up a little bit, please, by the way? Uh, you really need to go. Like, I've never seen anyone as excited as Marco has been about, like, the Father Like, do you know Marco? He's crazy, isn't he? Like, he's also, he's just so bouncing around the whole, for like, 48 hours nonstop. Just, and he's beautiful as well, isn't he? Like... If Ryan Gosling gave words of prophecy, it would be Marco. <laughs> and also, can we have that slide up that you put up earlier? Can we put that, that slide up? I was so confused by this, because to me it looked like uh, kids and youth riot outside now. <laughs> School year seven to nine. Like 11 years ago, oh, when can I fight? Like next year, my son. Brilliant. There is a, so there's a right outside now, which is good, because we don't want kids in for this. <laughs> this is a different fight against powers and principalities. <laughs> That's right. Here we go. So two confessions. Uh, first of all, uh, number one confession, uh, the talk I'd planned to give at 7 p.m. last night is not the talk you're about to hear. <laughs> Things have changed. Uh, the second confession is this. I've got it written down. This is my second confession. It's this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's about me. We were like, Andy, I don't think that was originally about you. <laughs> yeah, I respect you, but uh, it is now and it's also about all of you. Uh, so let me tell you some things about my, myself. You, uh, can you just put, put your hands up if you've either seen me before or haven't? <laughs> That's weirdly only most of you. <laughs> We've got Schrodinger's audience in this morning. So, a science joke to start off with, Mike. Very good, very good. Hashtag blessed, here we go. Um, so I live, in, I live in Huddersfield. I live in Huddersfield. Uh, I, am, uh, I am a married man. Sorry, ladies, taken. <laughs> I mean it in the Liam Neeson sense, I was kidnapped. Uh, I am a, I'm a parent, specifically a dad. Got two little girls. And, uh, yeah, we've got, we've got two girls. My wife was here for the, uh, for the first service. She, she's gone back home now because she's like, well, I've seen enough. I don't want to see this again. <laughs> we've, got, we've got two daughters, uh, five and two. We've got, um, so our first daughter we named after our... Uh, favourite character from children's literature, and our second daughter we named after my mum. So we've got Alice and then Mrs. Kind. Those are our two daughters. Uh, 
a little joke I wrote last night. Some of you didn't like it. doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Did you not hear what I said about the spirit of the sovereign Lord being upon me? That trumps any of your cynicism. <laughs> so, I live in Huddersfield. Like, it's all right to laugh, by the way. Like, I don't want you to think, like, that Simon and the team have just run out of things to say about the Bible, and so they've just got a comedian to come and, like... <laughs> People do sometimes say, like, are you not trivialising the gospel by being funny? No, I'm, well, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I love the gospel. I'm not trying to trivialise the gospel. I'm trying to redeem comedy. That's the point of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so it's okay to laugh, but it's not about the laughter. It's not about the comedy. It's about the guy who invented laughter and comedy. That's who we're, that's who we're here to talk about. So here we go. Come on, Jesus! So I wasn't like this in the first service. <laughs> I was in Huddersfield, Huddersfield Town. Are you familiar with Huddersfield Town? Yeah, just one person put their hand. Yes, I am. <laughs> Everybody else, no, 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 too far north. Huddersfield Town just been promoted to the, uh, the premiership. And I was there, I was in the centre of Huddersfield uh, on the day that they beat Reading on penalties in the playoff final. I wasn't watching the football. I'd gone to Nando's. I was having a great time at Nando's. So was it a cheeky Nando's, Andy? Well, no, it wasn't just cheeky. It was downright rude. That's how... That's how <laughs> It was a fronting in the extreme. That's the sort of Nando's that I had. I was having a great time. I'm walking around. The, the game is finished. They've won on penalties. They come swarming out of the bars and the pubs, and they're just absolutely all over the place. They're so excited. This one bloke comes racing up to me. He doesn't know me. He comes up to me and says, Hey, mate, isn't it great news? We're in t t t premiership. Isn't it great news? Translation, isn't it good news? We've been promoted to the premiership. By the way, that is quite, this is quite a good Huddersfield accent, but just to let you know, it's also my generic northern accent, right? If this had happened in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, it would be the same accent, right? I'm not very good at accents. My Scottish, Irish and pirate are all the same voice. And my attempt at Welsh has got me in trouble with my Hindu friends, I can tell you. I can tell you that. I mean it. So, this guy comes up to me, he says, Integrate News, we're being promoted into the Premiership. I was like, yes, it's fantastic. It's not as good as a Nando's, but it's good for you. And as he went off, I thought, you know what? Wow, this guy's an evangelist. This guy is preaching something that he's experienced and he believes in. He's experienced something that has changed his whole outlook on life. He's so full of joy. He's so full of the experience. And he bounded off. And I thought, you know why he's an evangelist? Because he wasn't bothered about my response. He had no fear. He wasn't bothered how I reacted or what I thought about Huddersfield Town. I may not even have known who they were. He didn't care. He told me and he went off and he told somebody else and his joy did not diminish. Yeah. And you know what? You know what? I don't know many Christians like that. I don't know many Christians who talk about Jesus like that. Maybe I do sometimes. Maybe you do sometimes. But not very often. Why not? In Luke 2, when the angels appear to the shepherds on the hillside, they say, we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, not just Huddersfield Town, for everybody. The gospel's for everybody. Why aren't we excited about it? In Acts 14, one of my favourite books of the Bible, one of my favourite passages in the Bible, uh, Paul and Barnabas in Derby and Lystra. They've been to Derby. They go along the A50 to Lystra and uh, in the East Midlands. It's all in the East Midlands. And uh, it's, a brilliant, it's a brilliant scene, right? They, they're preaching the gospel. There's a crippled man who gets, who gets totally healed. The crowd are blown away and the crowd think that they're Greek gods. They think Barnabas is Zeus and they think Paul is Hermes. And that must have been absolutely devastating. We've just seen someone heal. Oh, you must be a Greek god. No. They say, no, we're just men. We're here to talk to you about Jesus. No, 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 no. You're definitely Greek. So they start sacrificing all, the, all these oxen. And then it gets even worse. Uh, a group of Jewish guys come in from a, another place. 
totally ruin everything, turn the crowd into a murderous mob, absolutely batter Paul, throw him outside of the city like the cat at the end of the Flintstones. They leave him for dead. They leave him for dead. They basically think he's dead. Uh, the, the apostles gather around, they pray for him, and he gets up, and what does he do? He's been beaten. He's been misunderstood. He's had cynicism thrown at him. What does he do? He goes back in. He goes back in because he's got a reason to go back in. He's got good news of great joy. Isn't it great news? <laughs> Compare that to me. Me. I'm a coward. You're going to hear a lot of honesty this morning. I'm a total coward. I wouldn't have done any of those stages. For me to even talk to someone in the first place about Jesus takes a lot of doing. If someone had beaten me up, I certainly wouldn't be going back in. Why not? It's good news of great joy for me. Isn't it? Yeah, compare this to me. Like, I'm such a coward. Like, we moved house. We live in Hollister now, but when we lived in Manchester, we moved house from a classic Coronation Street-style terraced house. We moved to a, a cul-de-sac in a slightly nicer part of Manchester. And um, we were there, and, and uh, Becca said to me, uh, I'll unpack the boxes. You go down the road to Aldi, get us some basic provisions. So you come out of our cul-de-sac, 200 yards on the right, there's a big Aldi. You're familiar with Aldi? Yeah, yeah it's like Waitrose for poor people. Like, it, I've got to tell you that in the south, because I don't know if you, if you have it down here. Um, so anyway, I'm in Aldi. I'm getting all the basic provisions that you can get from Aldi. Bread, milk, fishing rod. It's all there in the middle aisle, isn't it? It's all there. I thought, oh, there's a donkey. I'll have a donkey. Come on, here we go. Now, I'm in the queue in Aldi. I'm in the queue. And I'm in the queue behind the woman who, it turns out, is my new next-door neighbour. Lovely lady, 82 years old, Anne, her name is. Now, at the time, I didn't know that Anne was my new next-door neighbour. Had I known that she was my new next-door neighbour, of course, I would have made polite conversation. Equally, had Anne known that I was her new next-door neighbour, she might not have looked quite as petrified when I followed her home, everybody. This is, uh... <laughs> this is what I want to talk to you about. So we've got 200 yards to home. The first 100 yards are absolutely fine. Absolutely no problem with the first 100 yards. But once we get back into the cul-de-sac and Anne turns around to see that I'm still gaining ground like Terminator 2, <laughs> it becomes clear that Anne thinks I'm going to mug her. And to be honest, part of me was thinking, well, you've done the legwork. She'll yield quite easily at this point. <laughs> Take the fishing rod and go and live in the woods. It'll be great. Of course, I didn't do that. I would never have done that. I didn't have chance. Anne saw that I was still there and sprinted inside her house, belying her age, like the Usain Bolt of the octogenarian world. She runs inside, closes the door, and bolts it shut, and I hear it lock. And I think, oh, my goodness, what an idiot. I am so stupid. I've only been here for two hours. I've already terrified a lovely old lady. I'm supposed to be here to build community, not to totally decimate it. This poor old lady, she's going to be trapped in her own house thinking there's some kind of weird stalker on the loose. This is terrible. I know. I better go round and explain. <laughs> so I went round to explain. Made it worse. Uh, as you can imagine, she didn't answer when I knocked on the door, despite me standing outside saying, I know you're in there. I saw you go in, I just want to talk. It gets worse. That's not the end of the story, right? As it turns out, the only reason that Anne was in Aldi in the first place was to buy a lovely Victoria sponge cream cake uh, as a welcome gift. <laughs> for her new neighbours. 
who in her mind she'd never met. A welcome gift that she brought around later on that day. Now, later on that day, I'm in the house. My wife has taken our little girls out uh, to, to meet some of the other neighbours. And so the doorbell goes. And my girls are five and two. If you've got kids, you'll know what this is like. My girls love it, love it, love it when daddy is really silly. They love it. That's the one thing I do all the time. They love it. I'll creep up on them. They won't see me. And I'll just appear from nowhere. They can't get enough of that. So the doorbell goes. (laughs) Some of you think this is not true. This is true. Get me to put my hand on a Bible. There's loads of them around. This is true. The doorbell goes. I think it's my daughters and wife returning. It's not. It's 82-year-old Anne. Clutching a Victoria sponge. Still quaking from the weird stalker man who may still be around for all she knows. I wish this wasn't true, but I promise you, King's Arms, that it is true. The doorbell goes. I go to the front door. I unbolt the front door. And thinking it's my family, I open the door to Anne like this. There you are! There you are. I'll just take this cake off you. That last bit didn't happen, but that's... True. Mm. And that, so the point is, like, for ages after that, I couldn't go outside. I couldn't go out of the house. I wouldn't go out. If I knew Anne was outside, I couldn't go outside. Like, I thought I'd ruined it. And I thought, you know what? That's it. I'm not made for this. Game over with Anne. I can share the gospel with other people. I can be nice to other people. But I'm not doing it with Anne. I was so embarrassed. I was so scared. But really, I was acting out of pride. I was acting out of pride because I, I made it about me. And the problem is that the Bible says... Uh, that uh, perfect love casts out all fear. It says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So if I'm a Christian and I'm living in fear, then I don't understand that the Bible is true and I don't understand that it's about me. Like, if I'm living out of fear, I don't understand how perfectly loved I am. If I'm, if I'm saying, I'm not going anywhere, I just, I don't get it. Like, it's not, I haven't, there's something I've misunderstood. And what's the problem? Like, the problem is, let me give you another story. I didn't tell this in the first, in the first session. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this story. But the, the, I'll tell you in a bit. The problem is, I think, so why? Like, why am I scared? Why am I scared? Why am I scared to tell people about Jesus when I'm embarrassed? Why am I scared? Why am I operating out of fear? It's not because the Bible isn't true. It's because of other factors. In my case, maybe for some of you, it's to do with the society in which I was raised. I was raised in a society which is nominally Christian. And there is nothing more toxic or dangerous than nominal Christianity. Religion without the relationship, I don't need it. It doesn't do anything. I inherited a Christianity which believed in God and was pro-Jesus. We would have voted for Jesus in an election. But really, I inherited a Christianity where I was told that what was most important was to make something of myself. That's been the message I've had growing up from teachers, from society. Make something of yourself. And that's not a bad thing in itself. But the problem is, as a Christian, Philippians 2 says of Jesus, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, he made himself, what, famous, really wealthy? No, nothing. And if I'm a Christian following a guy who made himself nothing, but I'm trying to make something of myself, there's a disparity there. There's a discrepancy that isn't right. I inherited a middle-class Christianity 
where people showed me, they didn't tell me, but they showed me by how they lived, the people around me, the environment in which I was in, a middle-class Christianity that demonstrated to me that life was not all about Jesus. Life was not about Jesus. It was about providing for your family, providing comfort, getting up the property ladder, getting up the career ladder. Unfortunately, the Bible also disagrees with middle-class Christianity on that. The book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, right at the start, it says of Jesus that... God, the Father, created the universe through him and appointed Jesus heir to all things. It says that Jesus is the full radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. My friends, the Bible says that it's all about Jesus. Life, cosmically, is all about Jesus. He's all there is. He sustains all things, all things, by his powerful word. word. I inherited a middle-class Christianity which wasn't Christianity. I inherited a Christianity that wasn't true. I inherited a Christianity where the good news was basically that I lived in the West. You don't know how lucky you are. Most people aren't as lucky as you. God's been really good to you. Now go and get yourself a good job and provide for your family. I'm sorry, that's not the gospel. It might be good advice, but it's not good news. I inherited that. The Bible tells me some of this seems a bit bleak, but it's going to be all right. Like, you've got to have the bad news before the good news. You, you can't have the resurrection before the crucifixion, can you? Like, without the, without the crucifixion, the resurrection is just a bloke going outside, isn't it? <laughs> Ta-da! What is it? What, what's happened? I'm out. So what? <laughs> I see what you mean. I'll go back in and... Uh... The Bible tells me that my inheritance is not middle-class Christianity. The Bible tells me that my inheritance as a Christian is something that can never perish, can never spoil, and can never fade. And it is not a graduate job. It is not a mortgage. My inheritance, the Bible tells me, is love and joy and peace and freedom and fullness of life. Wow. No one ever told me that. People just told me to make something of myself. I was never told that. But that's my inheritance. Freedom is my birthright. I have a large share in hope. Joy was created with me in mind. It's true. It's true. As a Christian. But no one ever told me that. And so what happened, my story is this, that I went off to university as a Christian, a believer, but I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who God was. I didn't understand how awesome he was. And how he saw me. So I went to university and I chased an identity that I didn't need to chase because I didn't realise I had an identity already hidden in Christ. I didn't know that. No one had told me that. So I went to university and I was the classic hedonist. I was drunk all the time. I was chasing... I had three aims at university. I wanted to get drunk, sleep with girls and form a Spandau Ballet tribute act. (laughs) I only did two of those things, but (laughs) we were an amazing tribute act. Uh, (laughs) Even when we were hammered, we were really good. Uh, so I was a classic hedonist, you know, chasing after girls, getting drunk. I used to love fighting. I used to love fighting. It was brilliant. It was at the time. It was brilliant. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, trying, I'm not a hard man. I was just really aggressive. And I used to do this thing, right? I used to do this thing. Because I didn't have an identity. I'd try and find it by being better than other people. I'd try and knock other people down so I could feel like I was being raised up, you see. So I used to do this thing in a conflict. I'd get into a fight or into a conflict situation where they'd be pushing and, and, and swearing and stuff. And someone would be threatening me. And I'd just start smiling. And I'd start chuckling. And it would really freak the other people out because they wouldn't know what was going on. They'd be thinking, 
Why is he smiling? We're about to have a fight. Why is he smiling? What does he know that I don't? And the reality was I didn't know anything that they didn't. It was just smoke and mirrors. I didn't know anything. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was born to be. And so, friends, if you're here, if you're here and like you're not, you're not a Christian, you don't follow Jesus, the point of this morning is not for me to try and convince you that God exists. Believing that God exists won't change anything. It will not change your life. You know what? Believing that Jesus rose from the dead in itself won't change anything. It won't change your life. Even the demons believe that. And look at the state that they're in. <laughs> Awkward. I mean it. What changes things? Write this down. What changes things? Are you ready for this? It's so wise, this. What changes things is believing that God changes things. What changes things is believing that God's love transforms and then letting it. That's what changes things. What changes things is understanding, my friends, this is key. What, under, what changes things is understanding that not you were born to believe in God or to serve God or to worship God. You were born to be a child of God. You were born to be a child of God. And as a child, you have a father. And it's him. This is, this is what the Bible talks about. If I'd only read it and believed it, right? And Jesus uses the word father more than he uses any other word in the New Testament. And that's not an accident. His disciples say to him, uh, Lord, teach us how to pray. He says, okay, first thing you say, Abba. They're like, what? Abba? Abba was the most affectionate word they had for father. And it doesn't mean daddy, but the most affectionate we, word we have for father is daddy. So it's okay to say, for us to say about God, daddy. So they say, teach us how to pray. Okay, first thing, daddy. Really? Are you serious about this, Jesus? Yeah, trust me, like, I know the guy. If you're seeing me, you're seeing him. If you're hearing me, you're hearing him. Abba, daddy. That's who he is. That's who he is. He's your dad. You were born to be his child. You were born to be in that relationship. That's who you are. And he's a good, good dad. He's way better than me, right? <laughs> I'm so stupid. Like, my wife says to me, don't shout at our little girls, because if you shout at them, you'll just teach them fear. If they're naughty, give them a consequence, uh, set them a boundary. That way, you'll teach them good behaviour. The problem is, like, that sounds great. I affirm that. But my wife is brilliant at setting boundaries for my kids. I am terrible. I'm terrible at setting consequences, because I don't know what I'm going to say from one moment to the next. I told you, this talk is not what I planned to do yesterday. I don't know what I'm saying half the time. It's a nightmare. When my wife is out and I'm, I'm doing the parenting on my own, I'm so worried that my daughters will misbehave because I just don't know what I'm going to say. This is true, right? A few weeks ago, my wife was out at Zumba, right? I was doing... Yeah, she's a fit woman. I was doing dinner in bedtime on my own. <laughs> my little girls refused to eat their dinner and as a consequence, I threatened to kill the cat. And I don't know if you've read any books on parenting, but the golden rule of parenting is be consistent. You've got to go through with it. <laughs> I've never been that nervous watching someone eat a boiled egg. <laughs> Girls, please stop crying when mummy comes home. You can get a new cat. <laughs> Think about daddy for a change. I've got to make this look like an accident. Think about me. 
So he's your dad and you're supposed to be in relationship with him. God's love is not supposed to be a concept that you look at out there. It's supposed to be something that you live out from here. Once you realise that you're a child of God, you start to realise that the Bible is about you. The New Testament is about you. In a sense, it's your autobiography. Of course, it's really about Jesus, but because it's about him, then it's about you. It's your story. It contains the stuff you've experienced in your past. It contains what you need to know about your present. And it contains the promises for your future. Once you understand that you're a child of God, you can start to read it like it's about you. Because it is. It's not just an old history book. There are plenty of other history books that are inspiring. Homer did a couple of really good ones. (laughs) But that hasn't changed my life. Hasn't changed my life. It's not just an old book. It's not just a story. If it's not true... Let's forget this nonsense about the greatest story ever told. If it's just a history book, then let's forget that. Let's let's acknowledge in front of everybody that the greatest story ever told is Time Cop with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Let's be honest about that. (laughs) In its rightful place. You were meant to experience God's love as his child because he's your dad. Acts 17 says that God is not far from any of us. But that's not the end. That's supposed to be the start God's love is not supposed to be distant. It's supposed to come and make its home in your heart. That's when things change. That's how things and people get transformed. He loves you. In Acts 14, again, in the same passage as as Darby and Lister with Paul and Barnabas there, one of them says, like, God has not left himself without a witness. Like, maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe you don't know Jesus. But God has not left himself without a witness. God's witness for you is unconditional love. Either the fact that you experience it or the fact that you don't and you need it. Because unconditional love is just as noticeable by its absence as by its presence. And I don't care who you are, I know that you crave unconditional love. And if you're a parent, if you've got kids, then you understand unconditional love because you, you love your kids unconditionally. I know you do. You love your kids unconditionally. Do you know what, though? There is no other religion that says that God loves us unconditionally. So why does it exist? Why would he give us something that's better than what he's got? There's no other worldview that says that unconditional love should exist. If atheism is true, we're just all molecules. Love and hate have exactly the same value if it's just molecules. God has not left himself without a witness. The beauty of falling in love, the reason people love falling in love and having people fall in love with them, and the reason why some people seem to do it on a weekly basis, I'm not mentioning it. Why did you laugh? You've outed yourself there, I think, mate. (laughs) Smooth operator. The reason why that's so awesome, the reason why that's so awesome when you fall in love and someone falls in love with you is because it's the idea that of everybody in the world, there is somebody thinking about you more than they're thinking about everybody else in the world. That's why falling in love is amazing. Psalm 139 says about you, because remember, it's about you, that God's thoughts about you are innumerable. You cannot count them. They are more numerous than grains of sand on a beach. He's thinking about you all the time. All the time. He's thinking about you now, whether you know him or not. He's thinking about you. And he's not thinking about how angry he is with you. He's thinking about how much he desires you to know him as your dad. So you can be his child. And because God doesn't show favourites, it says in Romans, it means that he's thinking about you above all others. At the same amount, the same level as he's thinking about anybody else. You are his favourite along with everybody else. You are his favourite and he's thinking about you all the time because he really, really loves you. 
When you understand that you're a child of God, that's when things change. And that's when you'll be able to change other people's lives. So I live in a little village called Slowit in West Yorkshire. And I was out doing uh, some street work. Uh, Steve Wilson had talk, talk, told me about uh, the street work he does here. It sounded quite good fun. It wasn't, as it turned out. Uh, I went out with my mate Ola and uh, Nigerian guy. We went out in, uh, in Slowit. And we found these two teenagers. And we thought, okay, if it kicks off, I'll, we'll probably beat them. It'll be fine. I'll, have, I'll take the girl, you take the boy. Um, <laughs> so we go up to them and we say, hi guys, we're Christians, we just wanted if we could pray for you. And one of them says, what, you're Christians? You want to pray for us? What we hadn't noticed is that just around the corner were another sort of 14 or 15 teenagers who, like West Side Story, came swarming around the corner and surrounded us, right? It was absolutely horrendous. But the, the good thing is, the good thing is that these days, I know who I am. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that the Bible is about me. I know that the New Testament is about me. So now when I read Perfect Love Cast Out All Fear, I know that that's about me and that it's true. So I wasn't scared. As these people swarm around me, I wasn't scared because I just let Perfect Love cast out the fear. And it was brilliant. All these kids, and they had like so confused, not aggressive. They're, they're all shorter than me, bar one. But they are confrontational and they swarm around and they're like mocking us and swearing at us, telling me I'm same-sex attracted and I've got learning difficulties and all that sort of thing that teenagers tell you. <laughs> and against this, I started smiling and I started chuckling. And they looked really confused because they thought, does this guy know something we don't? Yes, I did. I know who I am. I know that I'm a child of God. And because of that, I'm not scared. And because of that, I was able to say to the ringleader, this ringleader comes up, Nathan, 15 years old, as big as me, rugby league player, he squares up to me, not aggressive, but confrontational. Hey, what's going on here? And I heard God say, and it's really annoying when Christians say, I heard God say. What does that even mean, right? What I mean, what it means when we say, we heard God say, in my case, I had a thought in my mind and a, a, a feeling in my heart that were the same, that I should say something. A thought in my mind which matched the feeling in my heart that I should say something. And what I felt I should say was this, Nathan, tell me about your dad. And he went from being the alpha male and he dropped into the street urchin. And he looked at the floor and he said, I, I, don't, I don't see my dad. I've never met my dad. I said, Nathan, I knew that because God just told me. And mate, I've got some good news for you. That there is a dad who loves you, actually. Yes. There is a dad who loves you. And the Bible says that he knew you before he made you in your mother's womb. And it also says in the Bible that he offers to never leave you and never forsake you. Your dad deserted you, but God will never leave you and never forsake you because he's your dad. And Nathan, I need to tell you this. I really feel like God wants you, really, God really wants to show you what it means to have a dad and to be a son. He wants to show you that and he will if you let him. And I want you to think about that. And Nathan said, yeah, 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 I will think about that. And that was it. There's no miracle healing or testimony to the end of this story. Other than I dropped a seed and it hit good soil and that's all I can do. I met a guy who was an orphan and I told him that no, he wasn't born to be an orphan and he's not going to be left as an orphan. It changes things when you know who you are, when you know that you're a child of God. Let me tell you about my friend Liz. What sort of time are we on? Yeah, we're okay. Tell you about my friend Liz. Um... Really good friend of mine, known for about six years. Liz, um, when she was a little girl, she wanted to be a, uh, a writer. As a little girl, she wanted to be a writer. That was her dream. Uh, but instead of that, she was abused. 
She was verbally, physically and sexually abused by her biological father. He used to scribble the word ugly all over her walls. When she was naughty, which according to him, she was almost all the time, she was made to stand outside overnight with no clothes on in whatever weather. And then social services took her off her parents. She very quickly went, as an older girl, but still a girl, she became a prostitute. She hit the street. And then she was abused again. She was abused. She wanted, she wanted to be the object of love of her biological dad, but instead she was the object of lust for a number of men who didn't realize they were born to be sons of God. So abused. And then about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, uh, she met some Christians, she met some people who told her that that yearning for the unconditional love of her father existed. And they told her about someone called Jesus who loved her so much that he would come and find her in her present and he would transform her past and he would give her a future. And she believed them. And so she became a Christian. And it's amazing. And God wasn't lying about the transformation of the past and the promise of a future because now my friends she's a writer and she's written this book brilliant book called the mystical wood there's a few copies most of the first service bought most of them uh there's some outside uh i'd love you to bless her all the money goes to her i don't take a cut i'm not her agent uh they're five pounds, so on the bookstore, if you're going to buy any of the books, just please buy, buy that. Bless her with that, because she's a writer. That's who she is, and she knows her dad, right? Um, more than that, so we run a little retreat centre in Yorkshire, a little kind of Christian retreat centre, and we had a week of prayer recently, and, and Liz came along, and um, two things happened. She was there for the whole week, and, and two things happened. First of all, after sort of six years of being a Christian, she called God Daddy for the first time. That happened. The other thing that happened was that she heard lots of stuff from God. She wrote down lots of stuff that God was saying. And again, it might seem weird for Christians to say, God spoke to me. Well, that sounds a bit mad. No, you just need to understand that if we're children, he's our dad. That's a relationship. And in a relationship, people talk to one another. Right? It's okay. She wrote down loads of stuff that God was saying about different things. But this is the one that really stuck out. You see, she's drawn a, a primitive picture of hills and a cross. But then she's written something. I'm going to read some of this to you. This is what Jesus said to her in prayer about her, but it's also about you, right? This is the girl who was abused sexually throughout her life, but now has a new hope. Here we go. Jesus says, my cross is not clean. It is stained with blood, my blood that I happily shed for my people. Do not be afraid to bring your troubles to the cross and to me. I will always listen to you, even if you are angry at me or reject me. I love you unconditionally, no matter what you think you have done. I do not keep stock of your mistakes. Each mistake is the very first mistake. I will not persecute you or punish you when you make a mistake. All I will do is love you and throw my arms around you. Do not be afraid to trust me. And let my love fill your life. I can offer you freedom and all you have to do is take it. I want you to share my love with the world and tell them that there's a better way. 
tell them that no matter what, they are loved by me. Congratulations, you just heard the gospel. You heard the good news. And it's good news, it's not good advice. Religion gives you good advice. Do X, Y and Z and something else will happen. That's advice. If you don't do X, Y and Z, the other thing can't happen. That's advice. It's not the same as news. News is this. Something has already happened and we are now learning about it and all we have to do is to receive it. You can keep your religion, you can keep your good advice. Just give me Jesus. My favourite verse uh, in your autobiography, the Bible, is uh, Colossians 2.15. It says of Jesus, uh, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow! By powers and authorities, we mean the powers of darkness, the powers of evil. We mean everything. We mean things like addiction and grief and pain and fear and unforgiveness and things like that, and death. And that's what the cross is. Although the cross killed Jesus, it's a stop sign for everything that would try to kill you. That's what it is. I don't, I don't know what you think about the cross, whether you think it's stupid, whether you've mocked it, whether you think Christians are weird for having crosses around their necks. But that's what the cross is. When Jesus died... Every power of darkness and evil was nailed to the cross with him. When he went down into the grave, that went with him as well. And you know what? It stays dead because death can't come back to life because it's dead. The only thing that can come back to life is life itself, and that's Jesus. It's like like Gandalf and the Balrog in Lord of the Rings. That's what that thing's about. Gandalf standing there, you shall not pass. You're not going to get to my friends. I'll take you down because I'm happy to go down because I know I can come back. You've got to stay down there. That's the gospel. That's what the cross is. It's a go no further sign for everything that would stop you from being who you were created to be. Ephesians 4.25 says you were created to be like God. You, all of you, were created to be like God. You get everything that Jesus has. That's your inheritance because you are co-heirs with Christ. And he is the heir to all things. You get what he gets. It's true. It's true. Let me tell you how I know it's true. So my wife and I have just uh, celebrated eight years of marriage. Yeah, I've got a little nickname for her. I call her. She was here in the first service. She's not here now. Uh, I my nickname for her is Bambi. Yeah, because she's cute and a bit clumsy, and I want to I want to shoot her mum. So That's a joke. <laughs> it's her dad I hate. No, it's a, um, no I, love, I love them both. Um, so that was, that's funny, isn't it? Get this bit. When we got married, I was a massive porn addict and she was a self-harmer. Boom. Wow. <laughs> that escalated quickly, didn't it? I mean it. When we got married, I was a massive porn addict and she was a self-harmer. In the first year, both Christians, by the way, both believers... But neither of us understood who we were. Neither of us understood that we were born to be like God, to be children of God, to be a son and a daughter. So in the first year of our marriage, uh, my wife used to cut her wrists a lot. She used to cut them a lot, all the time it felt like. And she had loads of suicidal thoughts. And at one point she threatened to kill herself. She didn't, but she threatened to kill herself. And I remember it. And that was enough. Just the threat was enough. 
And because I didn't understand I was a son of God, I didn't understand I could operate out of freedom rather than fear, I escaped into massive porn addiction further and further and deeper and deeper. And it was horrible. And you need to, you need to understand that this is not... You need to understand the cost of me telling you this. There's a camera there which is going out online. This talk will be... I will be tagged in this post on Facebook... It'll be on Vimeo. It'll be shared on social media. People I know. So last year's talk is one of the most watched talks you've had at King's Arms that I did here because mainly it's mostly me. Um, <laughs> over a thousand people who weren't here saw that talk and maybe it'll be the same. You need to understand people who know me really well, who don't know this story, are going to hear, are going to hear what I'm telling you. You need to understand the cost. But I'm telling you that if you can understand how free you can be because of what Jesus has done. It's totally worth it. Yeah, come on. Yeah. So, so, pull yourself together, man. So, in the first year of our marriage, she threatened to, she cut her wrist a lot. But I can stand here now, and she's given me permission to talk about this, obviously. I can stand here now, and I can tell you, my friends, I am no longer a porn addict. I am free because of Jesus. I don't, just, I don't just do it less. I don't just hide it better. I am free. And people say, oh, careful. Once an addict, always an addict. No, strongly disagree. Once a child of God, always a child of God. It is not negotiable. It is not conditional. He loves us. And I can also stand here and tell you that my wife is free. My wife is healed. Yeah. <laughs> In the Gospels, when, uh, when Jesus comes back after the resurrection, Thomas is such an idiot, isn't he? Like, the first time he comes back, Thomas isn't there. He's on the loo or something. I don't know where he is. And, uh, and so he doesn't believe that everyone else is saying, like, we've seen Jesus. No, you haven't. I don't think so. So when Jesus comes back the second time, Thomas is like, wow. And Jesus says, Thomas, come here touch my scars and he touches them and he sees that they are scars they're not wounds he sees that they're scars and he says my lord and my god it's you it's really you I can look at the scars on my wife's arms now and I can see that they're beautiful I can tell you that they're beautiful they're like a work of art I can look at the scars on my wife's arms and I can say of Jesus, my Lord and my God, it was you. You healed her. By your wounds, her wounds are healed. I can look at the scars on my wife's arms and I can rejoice because they're scars. They are not wounds. At the time they were wounds, they were open and they were bloody and they looked like death and they spoke of death. Eight years later, I can look at the scars on my wife's arms and I can rejoice because they don't speak of death. They speak of resurrection. They mean new life. Some people say to me, Andy, I really respect what you believe, but I, I don't believe in God. However, I do believe that love is the greatest power in the universe. I'm sorry you're wrong. If you're right, then you're wrong. If there is no God, if Jesus didn't do what he said he did, then the greatest power in the universe is death. Because not everybody gets to love, but everybody gets to die. But it's not true. There is a power greater than death, and you know it. 
you know that love is the greatest power, not because you've invented it or because it's a romantic idea, but because God has not left himself without a witness. Because he has come to find us. He has come to set us free. That's what the cross is. By his wounds, your wounds are healed. Your wounds are healed. I don't know where you are with Jesus. I know where I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a son. That's who I was born to be. But so so are you. So are you. Death is not the greatest power in the universe. The transforming love of God is. I don't know where you are, but I know some of you are wounded. I know some of you are broken. Some of you think, this is not how my life was supposed to be. Life is not where I... I'm not who I was made to be. And that's true, you're not. But you can be. You can change. He can change you. You are not stronger than you think, by the way. You are just as weak as you fear. The great news is that when you're weak, he's so strong. He is so strong. He is so mighty. He can do all things and will do all things for you. If you're not a Christian, I need to tell you something. Freedom is your birthright. You can have a large share in hope. Joy was created with you in mind. Do you want that? Because it's good news. It changes lives. And you can have it. You can actually have it. So what we're going to do, we're not going to do a response song. I'm just going to pray. That, that's, that's the end. It wasn't as funny this year, but it was better. We're going to, I'm going to pray for us, and um, there's, I think there's two responses that, that can be made this morning. Um, and the first one is for those people who, who wouldn't call themselves Christians, have never called themselves Christians, but they've heard something this morning about Jesus. The question is not, have you heard a good talk? <laughs> is the guy at the front funny? The question is, is your heart yearning for what we've talked about? Is this good news to you? I'm not trying to give you good advice. I'm trying to tell you that your life can be transformed. It doesn't matter if your life has been a mess. Liz has said itself, herself, my cross is not clean, it's stained with blood. But I'm offering you freedom and all you have to do is take it. So the first thing I want you to do this morning as we pray, no one's going to see you, but if you've never responded to Jesus before, I'd love you to do that as I pray. I'd love you to say, Jesus, please meet me in my present, redeem my past and give me a future. I'm sorry that I've turned away from you but I know that you love me and I accept that. I accept that the Bible is about me. You know, my wife and I, the reason what my wife and I were able to change and have that change is because we believed that the scriptures were about us. In Galatians 4, it says, you are no longer a slave. I believe that that's true and so it is true. You are now a son and a daughter. We believe that's true and so it is true. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He set us free so we can continue to be free. And it's true because it's about you. So please respond. The second, the second response is for those people who like, maybe just feel far from God. And like, they really just, just want to be a son. They want to be a daughter. They want what we talked about. They want that close relationship that they've been lacking. So I'm just going to pray. So if you'd all just like to bow your heads, we'll keep it nice and traditional here. 
It's not, karma's not true. It's not true that what goes around comes around. This chance might not come again. This opportunity might not come again. Your life will change after today. Today's the day. It's time to come home. It's today that you come home. Today's the day that you come to the Father. So Father, God, I just thank you that you are the God who sets free. You meet us and you love us and you set us free. You are so good. You love us so much. And so this morning, Lord, we're here. We're here to say, yes, we accept that love and we want you to change us. We don't want to know the concept of your love. We want you to come and meet us. Lord, come and make your home in me. Give me your transforming love so that you can transform me so that I can transform my world. I want it. I'm saying yes to it. I'm wounded. I've got wounds, but my wounds don't get to define me. Your wounds do. The former things have taken place. Now we declare new things, a new day. Jesus, come and make your home in my heart. Come and show me what it means to be a child of God. Just saying yes to you today, Jesus. Just saying yes. Nothing compares to this. Thank you, God. Amen. Now, with your eyes still closed and everyone looking at the floor, I just want to get an idea of like, who's been impacted by that. So everyone looking at the floor, everyone with their eyes closed, if you've just said yes to Jesus for the first time, could you just put your hand up really high? Could you just raise your hand really high so everyone can see? That's amazing. Thank you, God. And with every eye closed as well, if you felt like you've been far from God and you're like, no, I'm back. I'm back. I want to know what it means to be a child of God. I'm saying yes to that. I've been distant and I need you, Jesus. If you've come back today, can you just raise your hand? Wow. That's so good. That's so good. He's so good. There's a ministry team around. So if there's stuff that you need freedom from, then um, meet them. They'll pray with you. They know what they're doing. It's been such a privilege to preach the gospel. Thank you so much.